I want to preach today on this topic. Everybody say this word with me. I want to go ahead and say that of all 52 Sundays of the year, this is the most boring title I'll give you all year. It's not the most boring sermon of the year. I don't know who's going to preach that, but it ain't going to be me. Okay. I'm not planning on this being boring, but the, the name, the title, like preparation. Even as I was, I was looking at the life of Elijah and thinking about what we could learn about how God prepared him for greatness, I was thinking like, what title could I give? This is such a boring title. And I felt like the Lord said, people need to know that preparation is just kind of boring. You may be in a season of preparation and you're waiting on big lights and great testimonies. And you know what? It's just kind of boring. It's not the funnest, most exciting thing. Nobody likes preparation. I coach a 10U Little League baseball team, right? None of those kids want to practice. They all want to hit home runs. They don't want to slide into second for practice. They want to slide into home and win the game, right? Everybody here wants to go to the beach. Nobody wants to pack to go to the beach, right? And God, you don't want to pack to come home, right? And, and, And everybody wants to go on vacation. Nobody wants to save money to go on vacation because preparation is never as fun as the thing. But if the preparation isn't right, how many of you know the thing is going to be a mess? And your life is the thing, okay? Your destiny, your calling is the thing. And, And this guy, Elijah, he was one of the most colorful and dynamic characters in all of scripture. He lived in a time of unrivaled ungodliness, the northern kingdom of Israel where he lived had, had, had consecutive 19 unrighteous kings over 200 years. And the worst king was on the throne, King Ahab, and the worst woman God ever made, his wife, Jezebel. If you grew up in a southern church, you probably heard her called that old Jezebel. She was awful. She led kind of the kingdom, really. She, she bullied her husband, who was a weak and, and ineffective leader. And she led the kingdom into the most unrighteous. They worshiped false gods. The, the, they they worshiped gods of child sacrifice. They worshiped sex goddesses. They literally had temple prostitutes where you would come to, men would come to worship and they would sleep with a temple prostitute and call that worship. Men's ministry was an all time high at the time. Uh, everything else was terrible. It was an awful season, and God says, I'm done. Enough is enough. I'm about to change everything, okay? And so God didn't, when he decided I'm going to change everything, he didn't raise up a giant team. As is often the case, he raised up one person, and that was Elijah. And let me tell you, the the way God changes where you work is he raises up one person. That person's probably you. You bring integrity into a godless business culture. The way he changes a high school is like one girl standing up for sexual purity and not being like everybody else. That's the way God does it. It's the beginning. It's that person who breaks through the ice. And Elijah was that person. And I'm sharing this message today because God is not just raising up people like Elijah. He's raising up you. And I believe this, that there's a destiny God has for you. And I believe that God, right now, God is preparing you for what he has prepared for you. God is preparing you for what he has prepared for you. There is something out there you don't know. It's on your way. It's in your journey path, and God's doing something in you right now. It may not make sense to you right now, but when you see what's out there, you'll understand he's preparing you for what he has prepared for you. So today I want to talk about preparation. I want you to see Elijah's journey like your own. We're going to read from 1 Kings 17. It says, Elijah says to the king Ahab, And he lays a gauntlet on him. He says, as the Lord God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will neither be dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. He says, it's not going to rain until I say it rains. 
Now, this is like saying, I'm going to send the Great Depression on this country, and it's not going to let up until I'm ready to let it up. Think about no gas at gas stations. Think about no groceries on the shelves. Think about no money at the banks. The total economic meltdown is what he just pronounced over that king. And that king is ready to fight, and Elijah takes off. Why? Is he afraid? He's not afraid. He, he is led by God into a season of hiding because God is preparing him. See, here's the thing. God's, God wants to do something great through Elijah. But first, he has to do something great in Elijah. That's the way God works. Everybody here wants to see God do something great through them. I, wh- how many would be okay if God made you the next great righteous billionaire? Are you down for that? It's funny because some of you are like, I ain't raised my hand for nothing. That's fine. It's a 100% chance you're not the next righteous billionaire. <laughs> According to your faith, be it unto you, right? I mean, we're all ready for God to do something great through us, but here's what God does, and he shows it time and time again, and especially in the story of Elijah. Before he does something great through you, he has to do something great in you. And Elijah went through a journey that I think you're going to recognize in your own life. I'm going to show you three steps. Follow with me. The first step was isolated pain. Everybody say isolated pain. You have to go there. There's no way around it. You will not always be the center of a big fun group that's going somewhere great. You're going to have a season of isolation if God does something great in your life. All right, let me show you it in Elijah's life, beginning in verse two. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here, turn eastward and hide in the Kerith ravine east of the Jordan. Now, words are very important in the Old Testament. They're symbolic. The name Kareth means to be cut off or to be cut down like a tree. This this was a, not only is he physically out there, but even the name says you're cut off. You're going to be away from everybody else. He's alone and he's isolated. And here's the fact. God will humble you privately before he exalts you publicly. It's always going to happen that way. It's never going to be you walk right up into the bright stages. There's always going to be a season where you're isolated so that you can only depend on him. James says it like this, humble yourself before the Lord and he will do what? In honor. Before that that season of honor comes in your life, you're going to have a season of humility. In fact, I want you to write this down in your notes. Humility always precedes honor. Humility always precedes honor. Everybody is down for the honor. You know, I think I could be the CEO of the company. I think I could start out and launch my own business and it could be uh, super successful. And I would, I would use it as an example. I would use it as a witness to the people. I would use that, that, that money to advance the kingdom. I'd love to sponsor a hundred orphans, not just the one. I, everybody wants the season of honor, but I'm telling you, God's kingdom says humility comes before honor. In fact, Jesus said the same when he said, those who exalt themselves will be what? Whole world full of people exalting themselves. God says they're going to be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be what? Exalted. That's the path I want to take. And I often see people in their own Kareth ravine, that that cut off place. They're hurting and they're alone and they're isolated and then they're confused because they don't know what's going on. But before God can do something great through you, he has to do something deep inside of you. You have to go through trying seasons. Okay, now that's kind of close to my favorite sermon story I love to tell. I've told this story many times. If you've heard it before, I want you to laugh like it's the first time you ever heard it. I love it. It illustrates three important points. But it has has a great three uh, important aspects. It's kind of funny, 
and it's kind of sad, and it's kind of gross. And those are three great, if you're trying to tell a great story, if you can find those three things, it's going to be great. Let me tell you the story. All right, it's, story, uh, it's, a, it's a little baby, sort of small bird flying south for the winter. He gets a late start. Everybody else is ahead of him. And as he flies, it starts to sleet and rain ice. And it lands on his wings, and his wings freeze, and he gets heavier and heavier. Pretty soon, he doesn't have the strength to go on. And he crash lands on a farm still in the north in a cow pasture. And he, you know, unable to move, it just keeps raining, sleeting on him. He's freezing. His arms are fro- his wings are now frozen. He thinks, this is it. I'm going to die right here. It's awful. And then a cow walks over and dumps right on top of him. That's the gross part of the story. Okay. And he thinks, wow, you have to die in humiliation. Really, this is how I have to die with a cow poop right on top of me. But then as he stays in there long enough, he's right. Hey, it's kind of warm in here. Things start to move. He thaws out. He's like, I think I'm going to make it. This is the blessing of the Lord. Chirp, chirp, this is awesome. Chirp, chirp, chirp. He gets so excited. If I could just get out of this pile of doo-doo, everything's going to be great. So a cat runs over and pulls him out. But then the cat eats him. That's the sad part of the story. And the lesson of the story is lesson number one. Not everyone who dumps on you is your enemy. Not everyone who digs you out is your friend. And number three, when you find yourself in a pile of manure, keep your big mouth shut. Don't go, that's the sermon for today. Don't go home. I'm just kidding. You're going to be in a pile. I'm sorry. It just writes itself, doesn't it? You're going to be in a pile. At some point, nobody's going to be your friend. Nobody's going to be helping you. You're going to be completely isolated. You do need to keep your mouth shut and talk to the Lord because if you feel like you've been cut off, God is still there. And I personally understand this feeling of isolation. When I started preaching, I was only 19 years old. Everybody, you know, was so supportive as you would be a teenager like that. You're going to be great. God's going to use you great. Then I started hanging out with the preacher types because you're a preacher. Hang out with the preachers, you know. Um, so that was fun. I didn't really like those guys and I didn't feel like they liked me. I didn't get down with their whole vibe. I didn't like the whole, you know, special parking spot, special titles, suits all the time, big high wingback chairs on the stage. Anybody been in church long enough to remember those? The preacher voices, bless the Lord. Open your Bible to Psalm number 23. I was like, why is he talking? I was just talking to that guy. Did he order his Big Mac combo like that earlier? Give me that uh, number one and uh, supersize it in the name of the Lord. Like, what do you do? Why are we doing that? And I didn't like it, and I've never been really good at keeping my opinions to myself. So, so I told him what I thought about it, and pretty much, I mean, I, I was isolated. I started saying, here's how you're supposed to do ministry. Here's what I'm hearing from God. I'm going to do this thing, and you do your thing, and we'll still be buddies, but... It didn't work that way. I was cut off. I was isolated. And, you know, I remember people telling me, you do this thing, you go this way, you're going to lose friends. And I'm like, you're kidding me. Not really. But it was true. You know, there had to be some cutting away. And, you know, you may be in a season right now where you're isolated. And what what I found out is that some of those friends, some some of those acquaintances are dead weight, and they're going to hold you back from where God wants you to go. I'm not saying they're not worthy of the gospel or of your investment or of ministry or of evangelism. I'm not saying that at all. I'm talking about when you've given your investment into their lives, you have to go where God's called you to go. 
And you can't hang and stay where they are. Especially all the young people hearing me at my voice right now. You're making major decisions. Things are about to change. You've been through, you know, maybe elementary school with your buds. You've been through middle school and in high school. And then here's what's going to happen. Here's what is, it's happened in every generation in the history of mankind. Right about 18 to 25, things start going like this. And it's all based on your decisions. And if God is isolating you right now, be thankful for that because God is preparing you for what he has prepared for you. What you need right now is him. You need him. And the next thing that's going to happen in your life when you get isolated is you're going to learn to totally depend on him. Total dependence. I'm not depending on my friend group. I'm not depending on my job, my income, my health, my, my home, not even my family. The only thing I can fully depend on is you. Here's how it went down for Elijah. He says, you're going to drink from this brook. Now, you're in a desert, and it's not raining anymore. The river has dried up. What do you think dries up first in a drought? A river, a big old river, or a brook? The brook dries up first, right? Always does. But he says, you're going to drink from a brook. And I've ordered ravens to feed you there. So he did what the Lord told him to do. He went to the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan, and he stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. The brook didn't dry up, and birds dropped ham sandwiches into his life, I guess. Probably not ham. Anyways, uh, (laughs) brought meat and bread. How How many of you ever tried the Daniel fast? You know, fruit and vegetables, 21 days. That's a rough start to your year. I've done it many times. I'm thinking the Elijah fast, meat and bread. Come on, somebody. Wow, that's biblical too. Y'all with me? I mean, that's right there. No, I mean, that's a pretty awesome miracle. You are in the middle of a drought. People who are at the headwaters of the river don't have any water. You're down here at a brook, and the water continues to flow. You see, God is is worthy of your faith, okay? You can trust him. And God's teaching Elijah a lesson. When everything that you depend on has been taken away from you, you can still count on God to provide for you. Maybe that's where you are, something you've depended on. You're in this new season and it's just gone. He wants to show you that he's the provider and he's the only one that is always faithful. Notice the fingerprint of God in Elijah's story. He gave him enough for today only. He didn't ever, he didn't drop a sack full. And I'll I'll see you in a week. He gave him one day's worth. You got to trust him again for tomorrow. And that's so much how the way, way God does it. Remember the Israelites who passed through 40 years in a desert wilderness and God fed them just enough for one day at a time. Even in the New Testament, when they asked Jesus, teach us how to pray in the middle of that prayer, he said, give us this day, not week, not month, not year, this day, our daily bread. He he wants you trusting him. So if you're in a place in your life where you don't know where the next good relationship is coming from, you're holding on to just the smallest friend group. Hey, that's, that's right where God likes you. He wants you trusting in him. Even if you're there financially, you know, Leslie and I, uh, when, when we started out in ministry, we served at this really small church. They couldn't pay us very much. And, and we were working multiple jobs and somebody gave us this little book, couples, a Christian Couples Guide for Financial Planning. And it had like spreadsheets and you fill out the stuff. And I, I, I'm, I love that kind of stuff. So I'm, we're all into it. We start with your income and how much it's going to be for this and this. And this. We get about halfway through the, the thing and Leslie starts crying. She throws her hands up and says, we don't even have enough money to still be alive right now. Like we're, we're halfway down the page and we're out of money. How did we make it this far? And we weren't like borrowing money or anything like that. God was legitimately fudging the numbers for us. 
It was just working out. Like we never knew it was, we knew it was tight. We didn't know it was miraculous until we tried to put it down on paper. It was crazy. It was just working out. And I look back on that season. We lived in a one-bedroom house, and we would drive up regularly, at least every week, and we would pull up from wherever we were going, and there'd be a brown paper bag on the front porch. No note, no name, just groceries in there. And it happened so often, we would pull up and say, let's get out and see what's for dinner. I don't know what's in that bag, but it's going to be fried and battered and floating in grease in just a minute. We're just going to, you know, and I remember one time Leslie looked in the cabinet. I think all we had was like onions and, and, and rich crackers and butter. She made an onion casserole. It was great. I I don't want any more, but it was great. (laughs) It was fine for that season. It was great. I mean, she could cook anything and make it taste good. I mean, butter makes everything okay. Am I right? Can I hear an amen? I, I appreciate knowing that, you know, no matter what happens, God will be there. See, I, I have a, I, I want you to understand, I have a, a, a strength in my life now that I would never have had if not for that season where it was cut off. I had to depend on him. I don't want to go back there. I pray that it doesn't have to happen again. But listen to me, the, the, the fact that I can pay my bills now and I can eat what I want to eat doesn't change the fact I've been there where I couldn't and God was God there. God's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. He's the same God for you that he is for me. Come on, give him praise if you're glad. He is the provider. And see, what Elijah could never do, he could never depend on his supply. He had to depend on his supplier. And that's right where God wants you to be. And it doesn't matter how big your supply is. You might have a 401k that is so big you couldn't imagine spending it. Let me tell you, it could be gone in a moment. You might have a perfect bill of health. It could, be, it could change tomorrow. You might have all the greatest friends and family that you could imagine. All of that could change in a moment. When you can't depend on the supply, you can depend on the supplier. That's right where he wants you. So everybody that God uses and calls, and listen to me, that's his plan for all of us. He doesn't have like prophet plans, preacher plans, plumber plans. Everybody, he's got plans for everybody. Everybody, God has a calling for your life. He's destined you to a hope and a future. Jeremiah 29 and 11 says it. He wants you to walk in greatness. So there's a path. Everybody say path. You don't get to skip it. You don't get to go around it. And that path begins with isolation. You're going to have to be cut off. There's going to be some moment where you're just like, oh, I thought they would be with me forever. I thought they were something different. I thought that income would be what it was. I thought I had... it's normal. You're you're not in sin because that's happening. You're not, you know, forgotten by God. It's normal. There will be a season of isolation. Then there'll be a season where you just depend on him. No one else. You're just trusting in God. And lastly, in Elijah's life, you see there was a season of unconditional obedience. Just trusting and doing exactly what God said. You pick up the story in verse 7. Sometime later, the brook, the miraculous brook where the water kept flowing, it dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. Okay, this this is a a hundred-mile journey deeper into the wilderness, the desert wilderness. There's no water. There's no food. You're probably just kind of trying to hang on at this point, and now you got to go a hundred miles deeper. He is, he doesn't have a horse, a car. He's thirsty. He's hungry. And if you keep reading, when he gets there, he runs into a widow woman who has a child and he says, Hey, can you feed me something? 
Now, everybody knows he's the guy who pronounced the drought on everyone. And, and she, you know, Really? You're hungry? We're hungry because of you. And so her response is kind of predictable. She says, I, uh, I, can't, I, I can't feed you anything. I've, I've got a son. And she says, we've got enough food here to make one meal, and then we're going to divide it in half. We're going to eat it, and then we're going to die. That's going to be the end of everything. And then his response is pretty amazing, and it's, and it's very much like God. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid, but go home and do as you've said. But first, make a small cake of bread for me from what you have. Bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. Now, she just got done saying there's not enough to do all that. And he's challenging her faith. And he says something that, it, like, for us today, for a man to ask a widow and her baby to give up their meal for him sounds ridiculous, but I've highlighted these words, me first. Everybody say, me first. first. Say it again, me first. first. You have been saying that your whole life. I have to. It's it's human nature. Okay, God, you want want me to do something, but let me first do this. In fact, if you read the story where Jesus calls the the, uh, rich young ruler to follow him, he says, okay, God, but let me first do this. And, and, and that's really the human nature way to do things. God, I really want to be an example in my workplace, but let me first get that promotion and blah, 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 blah. God, I really want to be a, a generous person. I want to support orphans. I want to donate to the church. But let me first get this bill paid. Da, 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 da. God, God, I really want to share my faith. Let me, let me first. God, I want to lead a group. I want to sh- uh, you know, help the lady down the street. Let me first, let me first, me first, me first. And the forever argument between God and man is who's going to be first. And to your me first, to our me first, God responds, me first. And it is a struggle. And, and, and I think stories like this are in there to let you know that your struggle is not unique, right? This woman's struggle was food, the last morsel of food she had for herself and her child. And God says to that, me first. I'm going to tell you what we would mostly say. I'm sure I would say, dude, there's, there's got to be another way. Let's, let me eat this and think about it, Okay. But she said, okay, God, you're first. She did the unthinkable, and she fed this prophet of God her last food. And then she looked at that barrel. If y'all know the rest of the story, remember? It was just enough to feed him. She scraped the bottom, and she fed him. And when she went back, miraculously, there was just enough to scrape the bottom and feed her and her son. And she kept scraping the bottom for three more years until the drought and the famine was over. Because faith moves the hand of God. He is the supply. He is the provider. So sometime later, this, the story doesn't end. The boy dies. Her child somehow dies. It's a tragedy. And she calls on the man of God, Elijah. Come, can you pray for him? Can, can you do something? Now listen, no one had ever been raised from the dead in the history of, of recorded history. The Bible didn't have, this is the first case of it. This man of God comes back and says, he's going to be fine. How can Elijah be so sure? Because Elijah had already been cut off. This kid is cut off from life. Elijah had already been cut off too. He'd already been in total dependence on God. You don't have a doctor. You don't, a doctor can't do anything about that anyways. You're only depending on God. Elijah is like, I've already been there. That's fine. And he prays over that child, and that dead boy comes back to life for the first time in recorded history, the first time in the Bible. And I'm telling you, God was preparing Elijah for what he had prepared for him. 
God knew that moment would be there. God knew that lady's child would die. God tested her faith before the big, you know, it seemed like a big test of faith when it's your last meal. I've never had to give away my last meal. That would be the biggest test of faith I've ever had. She probably thought that was her biggest test of faith, but what she didn't know was about a year later, the biggest test of faith would be there. She was okay because she had passed the other test of faith. What I'm telling you is God's doing something in your life right now. It may feel like you're isolated, you're alone, you don't have anything, but he trusts you. He's counting on you. He knows that if you'll put your dependence on him, he's going to build your faith and greatness is coming out of your life. This is not the end of your story. You can trust him. You can believe that there is something else in your life. God guides into seasons of, of what seems like emptiness because he's doing something else greater in your life. And so right now, if you're in one of those seasons where, where things are going wrong, remember, humility comes before honor. So you're on the path that you need to be on. And a few days after this story, Elijah stares down 450 false prophets under the guise of Jezebel. And he called, he miraculously, that's one of the greatest stories in the Bible. He calls down fire out of heaven. There, I've been to that mountain where it happened. There's a statue in his honor on top of that mountain where that happened. Why was he able to do that? Because he'd already been tested. He'd already been through some things. And if you're going through some tests right now, some trials right now, it's not because God wants to mess you up and wants to just beat you down. It's because he's building your faith for greatness. You were not built to just survive. You're not just here to make it through and, and, you know, somehow be okay at the judgment day. God wants to do something great in you so he can do something great through you. So this, this thing's been burdened on me for a while. I think there's people here are watching me online right now who need to feel the release of the Spirit. And as I was praying in the last service about this, I thought about how the Bible says, that God's word is active and alive. It's the rhema or alive word of God. Any other thing, you, you learn it and it sort of sits on your brain until you, maybe you need it. This comes through your brain into your heart and it's alive inside of you. It changes things. What I'm, why am I telling you that? Because you listened. You came. You've, you've received this. And if you accept it and believe it, it will do something supernatural in your life today.